All right, if you'll please stand. I'm Shelby, and I'll be reading out of Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, and that's on page 874 on the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say this is the reading of God's word, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still long, a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced, embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began, began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he began... <coughs> excuse me. And he came in to draw near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what, what these things meant. And he said to them, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go to him. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you literally run to us um, when we're turning away from you and sinning. We thank you for your constant forgiveness and saving us when we're unworthy of being saved. You, I ask that you open our ears and our hearts today to your word and lift up Pastor Shea as he preaches. Amen. Thank you, Miss Shelby. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It is good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. Um, it's good to see so many of you back after the, the Christmas uh, service we had. Hopefully some of you were able to make it to that. And, um, and now it's getting ready to be New Year's, right? Lots of, anybody have any parties they're going to? Yeah? Doing some New Year's resolutions maybe? All that kind of fun stuff for New Year's? Maybe watch some college football? Anybody? No? Okay. I'm super nervous. My team is playing, so <laughs> y'all pray for me. But New Year's, right? New Year's. We get a chance to say uh, goodbye to 2017 and all the good stuff and bad stuff that happened in 2017, and we welcome in 2018. 
And uh, some of us are excited about it. Some of us are dreading 2018. Uh, but the Lord is faithful, so you'll be all right. Quick complaining. I'm just joking. <laughs> 2018. Uh, New Year's resolutions. People start making New Year's resolutions around New Year's, right? Um, and they make New Year's resolutions like, uh, I'm going to work out more. I'm going to eat better, save money. I'm going to uh, finally finish that book I've been working on for four years. Uh, I'm going to go on that vacation I've been putting off for a long time. I'm going to spend more time with family. I may even cuss less. For some of you, you might want to take that one on. Uh, but Christians, right? Christians are very different. Christians say stuff like, uh, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I want to uh, evangelize my neighbors. I want to maybe go on that mission trip finally this year that I've been wanting to go on. I want to I I give. I want to do all these things, go to church on a more consistent basis. But as I was researching uh, New Year's resolutions, did you know that 80 to 90% of New Year's resolutions fail? Why do we even make New Year's resolutions at that point if 80 to 90% of New Year's resolutions fail? Um, and it's crazy because we, we can't keep our promises to God. We've shown over and over to God that we are promise breakers. Plus, we love that bag of Doritos in the back of the cabinet. And, and we love our explicitives sometimes. So why, why do we even do this to ourselves? And God, right, God is not, it's not like he's interested in us trying to recommit ourselves to him because he knows that we're promise breakers. The, the main thing that God is focused on with us is our personal relationship with him and for us to come home to him when we wandered far away. And that's what we're talking about in our sermon today. God wants us to come home because he loves us. So our parable a parable, if you haven't been to church in a long time or maybe not really familiar with the Bible, a parable is, is a short allegorical story that sometimes Jesus would use to drive home a certain point about who he was, about what his kingdom was like, about what he wanted our relationship with him to be like. And we see, uh, as we're looking at this particular parable, it actually starts uh, in a conversation that starts back in chapter 14, when Jesus is at the house of, of the religious elite of that day called the scribes and Pharisees, right? And so he's sitting around the table with them and he's, he's watching them and he's watching how they're interacting with the people that are around the table. And he's saying, guys, this isn't, this isn't what my father's kingdom is like. Why are you treating people this way? And so he goes into a series of parables. He goes into the parable of the wedding feast, the dinner party, a great banquet. You guys can go back and read these later. And then we pick it up in chapter 15 and he starts talking about the lost sheep, how God is willing to leave the 99 safe sheep, his children, to go and seek and save one that is lost. We see how much God loves the people that are lost. And he goes into the parable of the lost coin, and we see that God is willing to throw a party for finding one of his lost coins when he has nine that are safe and secure. Seeing how much God loves those things that are lost. And then we come to our parable today, the prodigal son. And, and prodigal really means uh, someone who is uh, wastefully or recklessly extravagant. And so we see that this, this prodigal son is living a life that is absolutely reckless. He has no regard for anything or anyone other than himself. And Jesus is explaining in this parable that God delights in drawing the people that are far away from him back into his loving embrace. We can see in this story that God wants to restore the relationships with his people. We can see that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. By the way, I'm not doing this sermon on my own. Y'all are preaching to me too by telling me y'all hearing me. Even those who are good, right? Even those who are good. 
need to realize that they, are, they may be far away from the Father too and they need to come home as well. Jesus is telling everybody that can hear this parable throughout the course of history that he wants his people to come home to him. Come home to God. That's my main point of our sermon today. And looking at this parable, it breaks itself down into three chunks, which I'm going to ask us three different questions. The first one is, what is it that separates us from the love of God? The second one is, what can we do to come back once we've been lost? And then the third one is, what if I feel like I don't need to come back? I'm already home. Some of us are like that here today. And so let's dive into it, right? Let's start in verse 11. Shelby already read it for us, but let's read it again. Verse 11 says, and he said, that's Jesus. Jesus said that there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. And, he had, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he, had, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the story jumps off, and, and automatically it jumps right into this telling the this, this story, or, or focusing in on the younger son, the prodigal son. And he goes up to his dad and he says, dad, give me my share of what's coming to me. So I've got a dad. I'm sure you guys have dad somewhere. My dad, would that talk, conversation would went totally different. Like, I got, I got something that's coming to you. And it comes in a size 12 boot. But we see in this passage, his son is completely dishonoring the father. He's, he's severing his relationship with his dad. And he's basically saying, um, actually, um, as, as you're looking at the parable, uh, the, the, a, a, a dad's property was only divided up amongst his sons once the father passed away. And so as, as the son is coming up to him, said, Dad, give me my share of your property, he's actually saying to his father, it would be better off for me in my life if you were just dead. You, you are in the way of me living my life the way I want to. Why don't you just go somewhere? Don't we do that to God sometimes? We may not say it in those words, but don't we, don't we live our lives in a way that says, God, it would be better off for me in my life if you weren't in the way. I know you have good things for me, but this isn't what I want with my life. It would be better off if, like Nietzsche said, you would just die. But the father, right, he actually allows the son's request. And, and some look at this story and say, you know, this, this story wouldn't have gone a lot differently if the father had just said no. But the father was actually wanting to teach his son some valuable lessons in, in granting his request. He was wanting to teach his son to be humble. He was wanting to teach his son that there's always going to be consequences for your actions. He's wanting to teach his son that you're not going to be able to get true happiness in this world by chasing after things. He wanted his son to know the deep level of love that he had for him. The son wouldn't have found out those things had the father just denied his request. And God wants us to know some of the similar, some similar lessons out of this parable. God wants us to know. Actually, people look at this parable and they say, why couldn't, why couldn't God have just stopped this whole sin thing back in the garden? If he had just stopped Adam and Eve before they rebelled against him, none of this stuff 
would be happening right now. But then we wouldn't know some particular things about God. We wouldn't know about his reckless love for sinners. We wouldn't know about his unyielding grace for those who are far away from him. We wouldn't know about his devastating anger and wrath against sin. Had God not allowed sin, we wouldn't know these things about God. And the son here, we wouldn't, the father, if he had just uh, not conceded to the son's request, the son wouldn't have found out these lessons either. And so the son ends up leaving the comforts of home. He ends up leaving the stately status that he had with his father. And he goes off, he takes his father's property. He goes down to the local pawn shop and he, he just pawns everything off, right? And he gets the cash and then he goes off to a faraway country and he spends all the money on, on booze and chicks. Basically, he goes off to college. <laughs> and, and he squanders his father's money and he's left for broke and he's, he's hungry and he's, and he's living in, in shame. He's willing to, to risk shame in order just to live. Nobody, nobody that was listening to this story when Jesus was telling it, because remember, Jesus is telling it to Jewish people who would have heard that, that he, he took on a job of feeding pigs and they would have said, that's bad. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't mess around with pigs during that time. You, you, didn't, you didn't live among them. You, you definitely you didn't feed them. You definitely didn't eat them. And so living with pigs would have been a cultural, shameful act for this man. He would have been unclean. He would have been disgraced. People would have looked at him and said, how dare you? Aren't there people in our families and within our culture that we know who do some shameful things, sometimes just to live. Shameful, despicable things that we look at and say, oh my God, I can't believe they would do that. Sometimes just to feed their families. And maybe that's not, maybe that's not somebody you know. Maybe that's you. That's done some shameful, despicable things that you're looking back on your life and say, oh my God, I cannot believe the things that I have done to get here. And I don't want to get too graphic, but I'm sure you guys can think of some things that people do that we would consider culturally disgusting. And so for us, looking at the story, it wouldn't be a big deal that this guy took on a job of feeding pigs. But had the father had seen it, had the father had known what his son was going through, it would have broken the father's heart. And that's one aspect of sin, the breaking of the father's heart. Sin is not just an act of rebelling against God. It's also breaking God's heart. It's also a byproduct of living in a broken world. Sometimes sin is not even something that we actively do. Sometimes it's just a a product of living in a broken world that we just get affected by it. Sometimes sin is, is falling short of the good things that God wants to do for us. But because of this young man's sins, he is separated from his family. He's alone and homeless, and he has nowhere to turn to except deeper and deeper into a sinful experience. Can can you picture this young man? For some, this may call into question your own life choices. And you're asking yourself, how did I get here? What can I do to get out of it? And the answer is so simple. It's actually kind of difficult sometimes. It's come home to the Father. You have a loving God who's been waiting for you to come back home. You don't have to remain in your sinful state. You can repent of those things and come home. But what can we do to come back home? 
That's my second point. Once we're out there, once we're deep into our sinfulness, what can we do to come back to a loving father? Let's pick it back up in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I'm going to stop there. It says he came to himself. And I will propose this to you. I don't, I don't think this young man came to himself by himself. The heart, right? In, in order for this young man to have come to himself, he would have had to go through a complete heart change. Isn't it true that sometimes we enjoy our sinful state? The Bible says that sometimes we are like dogs returning to their own vomit. We love it. We, we love relishing in our sins at times. And then we look at a verse like Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This young man can't come to himself by himself. He's actually probably enjoying a little bit this reckless life that he's living. He needs something outside of himself to jar his attention back toward the love of the Father. And church, I tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit of God is the person who jars our hearts and reminds us of the Father's loves and turns our attention and our hearts back to the cross of Christ. We need something outside of ourselves to wake us back up and realize that we are in the depth of sin and need a way out. And the only way out is through the redemption of the blood of Christ. Attempts at saving himself was only drawing him further and further back into a sinful life. We look at verse 15, as he tries to save himself, he he already squandered all his father's money, but then he went off into reckless living, and then he went off into, into wanting to eat pig food because he was so hungry. Further and further into a sinful experience. Have you ever been there? Every time you try to fix your life, you end up making it worse. Every time you say, this is the year that I'm going to do something different, you just make it worse and worse for yourself, digging yourself deeper and deeper into a sinful hole. So, verse 18. Prodigal son comes to himself and he he says, he starts his I'm sorry speech, right? And he, he starts heading for home and actually he's starting to make his New Year's resolutions. Saying, this year I'm going to do something different. This is the year that I'm going to be better toward my father. This is the year that I'm going to, I'm going to treat my father better with more respect and, and do all these things differently so that I can come home. And I think on the way there, he's actually realizing that the person that he was rebelling against is now the person he has to rely upon for mercy. The person that he wished for dead is now the person he needs to plead to for grace. He now realizes he has to walk in humility. The very thing he was trying to avoid when he was willing to eat pig food before he came to his senses. This young man is realizing he's in trouble. And then he's sneaking to himself, man, if dad really knew everything I did, would he really love me? Do you ever ask yourself that? I know God sees everything. I know that he's with me everywhere I go. But if he, if he truly knew everything I did, oh, would he love me still? Would he forgive me the way he says he would? And if you're ever in a question, I want you guys to come back to the story. Matter of fact, if you have a Bible, 
in your lap right now. I want you to, to take out like a pencil or pen or something, and I want you to underline the second half of verse 20. And if, and if you have a Bible that you're using uh, that you didn't come with that was on the seat when you got here, I want you to take that home with you. Right? Write your name in the front of it, matter of fact. Take it home with you, but I want you to underline this verse. And if any time in the year 2018 or, or anywhere past that, you feel like God doesn't love you, I want you to come back to this verse. And I want you to realize how much God loves you. And look at, look at what it says here. You guys, you guys read with me. If any, matter of fact, if you got your phone, like do that like little Bible gateway thing where you put like a little highlight thing on it. So you can remind yourself of it. You guys read this with me, second half, verse 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Oh, my God. This is how much the father loves you. He ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Don't ever doubt the father loves you. Because he tells us over and over within this book just how much he loves us. Instead, he's, he, he recognizes his son from a long way off, right? So I don't, I don't know if it's like his son was like walking with a limp and he's just like, oh, that's my son. I know his walk. I don't know if he, him and his dad had like a special call, like, oh, cool. He's like, oh, yeah, that's my son. I don't, I don't know what it was. But he said he recognized his son from a long way off. And he said, that's my boy. My son is coming home. And he said his father felt compassion for him. And compassion, I don't think this word does it justice. The father had this internal movement of every single organ that was in his body that was leaping for joy. Nothing was unaffected by his his son's return. Everything is crying out in a joyful experience. My son has come home. Thank you for bringing my son home safely. Nothing about his body was unaffected. He had to rush out and meet his son. He had to hug him and kiss him and and touch him and make sure he was real and not just a figment of his imagination. We see in the text how much the father loves his son. And we see from this passage that the father was willing to risk cultural shame in order to love on his son. Old old men in that time, they they didn't run off the porch. This old man hiked up his, his robe and he jumped off his porch like bionic man. Old men didn't do that. He could have broke a hip. But he loves his son. And we see in this text that the father is actually willing to take on the title of prodigal so that his son didn't have to experience that title any longer. His father was willing to risk cultural shame so that he can go and rescue his son. That's what God is willing to do for you through Christ. Christ is willing to take on your title so that you don't have to experience that title anymore. Is it adulterer? Is it thief? Is it murderer? Whatever title that the world has tried to give you, Christ has taken it on so that you don't have to hold it anymore. And so the son, right, as soon as his dad gets there, his son goes into his I'm sorry speech, but the dad actually stops him mid-sentence. And look what he says to his servants. Verse 22, it says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on and put a, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring out the fatty calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The dad, he, he gets to his son, he says, I don't don't care what my son has done. Matter of fact, I think I've heard reports about the things that he's done, and I don't care. This is my boy. 
This is my son. He's mine. And he calls out his servants. He says, uh, put, put a robe on him. He's, he's dirty from his travels. He's dirty and unclean from being around pigs. Take that dirty robe off of him and put my robe upon him. Take that, take that unrighteous clothing he's wearing and put my clean robes upon him. Take it. Take, it, take a ring and put it on his finger so that everybody knows who he belongs to. I'm fully accepting him back into my family. Everybody's going to know it. Put some shoes on his feet. Go, go, go get a fatted calf. And chop that billy up and make some ribeyes out of it. Take, sprinkle some mushrooms on it. Matter of fact, take it and, and make some, some beef tacos and, and, and some beef bulgogi. Like, just, just bring out food. We're going to party. The father is excited. Can't believe his son is home. And all the son can do in that moment is receive his father's gifts. He didn't earn it. Matter of fact, he earned the opposite. He couldn't pay for it. He squandered all his, all his money on reckless living. All he can do in those moments was be loved by the father and receive the good gifts that his father was giving to him. The son's reasons for returning, his level of commitment, his, the validity of his penance were all irrelevant to the father in that moment. His boy had come home. That's all the father cared about. That's all God cares about with you. Come home to God. So what can we do when we're stuck in our sins? We can be reminded of the father's love. We can repent and turn away from those things that we've been doing. And we can come home and enjoy the Father's experience. But what if we feel like we don't need to come home? That's my last point. What if we feel like, I've been a Christian for like 25 years, but I know some people who need to hear this message. What do we have to say to those folks, right? Let's look at verse 25. It says, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. By the way, I want to stop there. Y'all, y'all about to have some parties on New Year's, y'all said? If, if you can't hear dancing from the park a lot, you ain't throwing no party like this one. This, this, <laughs> this was a party. It said, look, look at what it says. It says, they heard music, which makes sense, right? You hear music, but they heard dancing. <laughs> they, was get, they were getting crunk. I'm saying, this, this party was lit. Like, they, they were going after it. And, and by the way, this is, this is what it looks like when we're enjoying the presence of God. When we come here to worship, this is what it looks like. They should be able to hear us from the parking lot. Music and dancing. For real. Move. When, when, when God enters your life, when the Holy Spirit has dropped himself upon you, you can't sit still. You got to do something. And you worship God with everything you have. Mind, body, soul, and strength. That's what it looks like to worship God with everything. But I digress. I'll get back into it. I'm sorry. It says, um, where was I? I lost my place. Dagnabbits. Verse 26. Thank you. And he called one of his servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. He went out and begged his son. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
you killed a fatted calf for him. So now the story switches his attention and it goes toward the older son. And as I'm, as I'm reading this story, I'm trying to figure out, is, is the older son wrong in what he's saying? Not, not really. Matter of fact, if, if you look at it in context, the younger son actually got off kind of light. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy, 8, uh, Deuteronomy 21. And remember, this is, this is Jesus talking to Jewish people. So they would, they would have remembered what the law actually said. And look at what it says. It says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to him, then his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. He got off light. (laughs) He should have died that day. He asked for a divorce from his father. The son, the older son is actually protecting his father. So why do we look down on him? Why do, why do we see him in a negative light? And, and as I'm thinking through it, it's because his heart did not model his father's heart in caring for his lost brother. The father's heart wasn't just stirred on the day his son came back. It was absolutely broken on the day his son left but not the older brother. His older brother could have cared less because now he gets more of the father, right? Just, just, just this selfish motivation. Nor sometimes do we care about the loss the way we're supposed to, not the way God does. The father's heart was overflowing with joy when his son came home, but not the older brother. The older brother actually walked in jealousy Self-righteousness kept him from the Father's love. Just like us sometimes. We don't absolutely celebrate when we see the lost coming back home to God. I think that's why I enjoy baptism so much. But my heart just wants to, to leap for joy every time somebody comes out of that water into the newness of life. It's because in those moments, God's children are coming home. We don't, we don't break down and weep over the loss, not mostly, nor do we bust out an absolute celebration when one of God's lost come home. And when, we, when we're reading this story, right, there's, there's one of two ways that we can read this and, re, and respond to it. We, we can have these feelings of, of just heartbroken compassion for the prodigal son, or we can look at him with disgust. Compassion or disgust. Which one do you think the father was feeling as he was thinking about his son in a far-off country? Compassion or disgust? Which one do you think God feels when he sees his prodigal children? Do you think he's filled with compassion or disgust? That's not a trick question, by the way. He's filled with compassion. (laughs) Which one are you filled with when you see the prodigals of this world? Are you filled with compassion or disgust? Which one are you filled with when you see people on TV that are in their neighborhoods and they've been abused by, for so long by the people who are supposed to be protecting them and the only way they can think of to get everyone to hear them is to start a riot in the street? Are you filled with compassion or disgust? You say, I can't believe those people are doing that to their own cities. Is God doing that? Which one are you filled with when you're driving down the street, maybe by UNR, and you're driving past the frat house or, or nightclub, and you see people laid out drunk in the middle of the street, laying in their own vomit? 
Are you filled with compassion or disgust? Which one are you filled with when the ladies of the night are walking down 4th Street or those particular adult clubs when you're driving past? Which one are you filled with, compassion or disgust for those people? And you say, oh my God, I can't believe what they've been through. They have been so abused. God, break my heart for them. Save them, God, please. Which one are you filled with? We see that the son was upset by his, father, by his father's willingness to forgive because he himself was living in selfishness and self-righteousness. He, th- he thought that he can get right by himself, and the father should recognize that. And we see Jesus in this parable, he's, he's, he's talking about the older son, that he's just as sinful as the prodigal. The older son isn't reckless living. Matter of fact, in verse 29, it says that he followed all the rules. Never disrespected the father. His sin was that he was stubbornly withholding the grace that his father had shown him. That should have been an overflow from what he got from his dad. How much more blessed would the father have been if the son had just come in and forgiven his brother as well? So then we have to ask ourselves, did, did the older brother really love the father at all? Or was he just sticking around out of a sense of moral obligation that if he followed the rules just right, that if he was the perfect son in complete contrast to his brother, then his father would accept him and love him? That's not love. But look at what the father, look at how the father responds. Verse 31. And the father says to him, says to his son, son, you're always with me. And all that I have, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's he's found. And the the father's trying to challenge his son's binary thinking. He's saying, son, you're not losing anything by coming in to celebrate that your brother has returned. Everything that I have is mine. Everything I have is yours. All this grace, all this love that I have, it's yours too. He's saying to his son, you're forgetting that I care way more about my children's safety against evil than I care about their perfect obedience. I just want my children to come home. You're following the rules is not the point, son. Your brother was lost and now he's found. It's cause for celebration. But you notice in the story how it was the father who came and initiated both relationships. He was the one who jumped off at the porch to go receive his son back. But he's also the one who left the party to bring back in the older son who's living in self-righteousness and selfishness. Church, this is good news. This means that the grace of God is for us all. This means that God has no limit for his children, the amount of love that he wants to lavish upon us. This means that God is actually the prodigal of this story who is recklessly loving his children regardless of the cost to himself. Church, this this parable illustrates perfectly what Christ does for us. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, right, it talks about how we were all once wayward souls, living in in the passions of our flesh. And just like the rest of mankind, we're children of wrath. But then, like, when we were in our darkest hours, when we were about to hit rock bottom, God sends his Holy Spirit to awaken us and remind us of the Father's love. And then when we were were still a long way off, right, God sends Christ 
to leap off the, the comforts of his home to come and seek and save those who were far away from him. And then when we were being all uppity about who we were going to talk to and, and having our noses stuck up in the air, Jesus leaves the party of heaven to come and rescue those who are self-righteous. This is the grace of God on full display. We see the entirety of the Godhead at work when we see this passage. All sinners, whether it's, whether it's sin of, of absolute rebellion or of self-righteousness, can come home to God. Listen, it's 2018, and maybe you're hearing this, and maybe something is stirring within you, and you're like, I, I just don't know if God can forgive me for the things that I've done. I've been away from home for too long. I've, I've done way too many things for God to love me unconditionally. God wants you to come home. He doesn't care what you've done. Allow the blood of Christ to wipe those sins away. And just come home and enjoy the Father. You don't have to stay out in the cold, desperate and needy for the Father's love. He's willing to give it to you. Just repent and come home. And then, like, for some of us, right, some of us, we need to, I, I want to say this in the best possible way. We, we get so uppity about who we talk to and when we talk to them. About, about making sure we look good to everybody, that we forget that Christ's mission when he came was to seek and save the lost. Christ wasn't uppity about who he talked to. He knew who was sick and needed his grace. And when he left from being on that mission, he commissioned us to join him and helping him find and save the lost. Don't be uppity about who you talk to. Love God's children unconditionally. And we don't know who God's children are. He does. So love everybody. Quit playing. We see, every one of us, that we are the prodigals of this story. And God came to seek and find us. Look, we can, we can make all the New Year's resolutions we want. There's, there's nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions. Matter of fact, some of them are really good. But hear me when I say this. God doesn't care so much about your resolutions and your, your failed attempts and trying to look good to him as he does about you coming back into a relationship with him. And as you leave here today, I pray that you enter this new year knowing that you have a loving father who desperately wants you to come home and enjoy a relationship with you. Amen? Amen. You guys pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this message. Um, I need this. There's so many times when I sit around with my nose up in the air at the prodigals of this world or, or look down upon myself so hard that, that I forget that you love me unconditionally. And God, if there's any heart in here that is feeling that same way, God, would you pour your love out upon them uh, in, in, a, in a reckless, extravagant way? Uh, thank you, God, for taking on the prodigal, the title of prodigal on our behalf uh, because we couldn't handle it ourselves. We desperately need you, God. And as we enter into this new year, I pray that your love just abounds more and more unto every single soul under the hearing of, this, of your word. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.